Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. And we'll get the show on the road. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got an Impact Award winner on the call here. We've got Stephen O, the CEO of Genesis Capital Management. Stephen, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience and, and kind of, you know, what prompted you to get elevated to the position that you're in today? Yeah, I mean, I have a, a unique story at Genesis, I like to think, and, and probably unique to myself. Uh, I joined Genesis. It's pretty much straight out of university. Uh, I graduated in, in May and, and by the fall of 2020, uh, 2001, I was looking for a job and I, I landed with Genesis. And um, it, it was as a day I would never forget. It was September 10th, 2001. So a day before 9-11 happened. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those days uh, that, that you, you will never forget uh, as, a, as a new person joining a financial firm. So, you know, fast forward, I guess, 20, 20 years later on, after joining Genesis, I, I got myself uh, through the ranks and I was asked whether or not I'd be interested in being the CEO at Genesis. And, uh, you know, it took some thinking, some pause, uh, and, but ultimately I, I accepted because it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and something I couldn't pass up. And Stephen, what was that conversation like? It was a pretty special one for me. Uh, it was actually the day we were, my family was just moving between condos and 
uh, Wayne called me. I remember sitting on the patio saying, you know, what can I, what can I do for you? And, uh, kind of puzzled because we're in the middle of moving. He knew it was moving day, uh, but uh, he wanted to chat. And, you know, I've known Wayne for a long time. Uh, and he said, to Steve, you know, you've got my support if you're, you're, you're up for that role. Uh, you know, prior to being CEO, I was the chief operating officer. So a lot of my day-to-day -day stuff hasn't really changed. Um, and Wayne continues to be here as a, as an executive chair and my mentor. Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a fantastic thing. And, and describe that relationship from CEO to mentor. What's that dynamic like? Uh, it is, I think that role, that, that relationship is, is, is pretty unique and I, it probably only really have works because we've known each other for such a long time. You know, as CEO, I think a lot of, a lot of people see it as, you know, the chief decision maker, which is true. Uh, and often, oftentimes I think egos get in the way and, uh, when you do get questioned or, or if you do need help, a lot of people don't go and ask for it. And it's a unique position for me with Wayne because I've known him for 20 some odd years and I've seen how um, he led in the past and, and how not just him, but Leslie as well, how they treat our clients and treat the business. Uh, and I think a lot of that value transferred to me as a professional over the 20 years. And, uh, you know, really it's so when I do need help, uh, I have two, two people I can really turn to and have an open conversation. Uh, and uh, because of that existing relationship, even if you know, disagreements happen, uh, you know, you have that history and that trust that's built. Uh, you can rely on that. And, and Stephen, well, thanks for sharing that one. And then two, just, you know, if, rarely do we have someone on the show who, you know, has been in the company for 21 plus years, worked their way up to become the CEO. Like, what kept you at the organization? What's so special about Genesis? Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't think joining Genesis day one, I had envisioned being at the firm for 21 years or 21 years and work my way up to be the CEO. Um, as with a lot of people, working professionals, I guess, you're always looking for the opportunity to grow as a person. Uh, and that relationship with me and, and Genesis really was that. Whenever I was ready to move on a little bit in my professional career, an opportunity would open. Uh, and I had uh, the support and, and, and trust of people around me uh, to take that next step. Uh, and a little bit of, you know, I, I, I believe in personal success. Uh, a lot of it is my upbringing has been education focused, um, um, being uh, and my parents being raised in the Chinese family, my parents put education above everything. Uh, and, and really the conversation was, you know, you need a bit of luck and a little bit of hard work and it's a mixture. And it was a lot of hard work uh, that went into finishing school, finish my professional accounting degree, uh, and then being in that position, in that, in that moment when the firm needed someone or needed a leader, uh, and, and you were called upon uh, because of the hard work, because of the qualifications, and that extra piece of luck, that, that little bit uh, that, uh, that goes a long way. And that's interesting too. And I feel like you know most CEOs I have on the show is you know the the growth they're looking for might be to either fill a hole in their development, um, or it's it's just this a personal passion that they just happen to have. Maybe it's natural. Maybe just through the experiences 
that they've gone through. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about like the the family dynamic. Like, if you're so focused on success and you believe in it, as you put it, what what was I guess failure in your eyes? I mean, failure for me um, personally would be not being able to provide for my family, you know, not being there, uh, providing both obviously uh, the lifestyle we we can we can have or, or just life itself, but also being present as a person. I'm lucky. I have a four-year-old daughter, and and I think the work life before having a actual family and and child uh, was very different. You know, the focus is very different. Uh, but when I became a parent, um, a big part of my commitment, even of my with with busy work, is making time to be present. Uh, you know, the time that you are there with your your children, uh, I really want to be engaged and and be there. Uh, and I think. Failure for me would be not being able to meet that, you know, uh, not being be, be there for, for my daughter. And when you're speaking to the company in terms of, hey, here are my motivations. As a company, are you focused on maybe the vision? Are you focused on having them provide for their family? How do, how do you motivate the organization? Well, it ties in everything and everything we do as a, as a financial firm. We're providing investment solutions at the core for our clients who can then provide for their future uh, investment needs, whether it's, it's a, as a legacy they want to pass on to the next generation or we're just managing their wealth for their, their upcoming retirement. Uh, and really the focus for our staff is, is, is meeting that need uh, in every, every aspect of, of the business, whether um, you're an IT department or accounting or the actual client servicing uh, portfolio manager. It all comes ties that all back in into that 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 need to to help our clients be successful. Um, and with, but with that in mind, you know, leading our, our our people, our team of thirty six people, uh, it's important that they also have work life balance, just like me. And it's not a privilege just for me, uh, but it is it is something we should all have uh, the ability to be there uh, for our families, and and that's how. Uh, we've looked at, uh, you know, we continue to the work from home situation so that people can have a little bit more of that flexibility and affordability um, to be there. And uh, we're looking at other policies that we put in place that, that try to increase that, uh, that, that need. And, and Stephen, you know, thinking about kind of what you're talking about, about providing for your fam- the families, uh, looking at money as maybe a tool to help people. Um, and, and almost as energy. You were at the Impact Awards. We talked about energy, uh, really moving through a medium, creating this wave. How does the firm look at uh, money and how it can uh, impact others? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that's going back to the core of it. Uh, when we when we created these uh, sustainable impact products, investment products, it was really how you can make the investment money uh, go towards building something better. Uh, uh, and, and for a lot of people, uh, it goes beyond just being sustainable, being fossil free. Uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's the light green, if you will. But a lot of people, uh, a lot of wealthy individuals want to see that their, the, the investment money that they're putting in uh, is really making a positive impact. Uh, and, and we tie our investment goals for our impact product to the UN SDGs and, and uh, we have public impact equity products that, that align with that. 
and we want to do more customization to really dive into those uh, into that requirement. I think a lot of people, it's not just about you know transitioning wealth from one generation to another, but really when you talk about the wave of impact, you know when you can really apply those dollars to creating good, uh, giving you know whether it's clean energy or or clean water uh, supplied and, and making a real impact uh, with with investment, the fortunes people have built up. You know, I think that that just kind of kind of brings back good karma. You, know, you want to know that the the money that you're you're investing is going to a good place. And, and let's talk about that a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if if I'm going to invest with the company, you know, I guess the the layman, the random, the general people in the in the world are are really focused on, let's say, a return. Do you believe mm-hmm. that there, in your eyes, uh, that there is a concessionary return that you you are tr- trading out uh, a lower return for impact? Uh, has that been your experience? I, I wouldn't say I would qualify that as not necessarily giving up return investment returns. I think people need to um, recognize that investors reckon, need to recognize that it's it's all relative to the kind of risk you're willing to take on. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a lot of some of the private impact investments that we put into are, are going to be a little bit higher risk because it's not guaranteed um, to 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 bring in a positive return in terms of financial returns. Uh, some of these are startups. Some of these, some of these, we qualify will may fail, but ultimately these companies will be trying to do something that's good, uh, and 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 if you can overcome that and your risk prop profile kind of allows you to do that. Then we would um, we we don't recommend it for everyone, um, you know. Realistically, if you you know if you're a um, <clears throat> investment account that's you know let's say half a million dollars for example, but you can't and that's your retirement money. Our recommendation is that you don't do it, or not all of it, maybe five five to ten percent at most uh, in in impact portfolio, uh, because it's not for everyone. You know, we're mindful of that as as fiduciaries and, and making sure that you know your risk profile can can absorb that risk. Um, so if you lose everything, are you going to be okay? Uh, and I think that's the question that we have to be mindful of. It's not necessarily uh, absolute. And, and no, thanks for sharing that. And Stephen, just you know, you mentioned the SDGs being a, a big part of the framework that you look for. Let's say in these type of impact funds or portfolios or just investments um to you like help the audience understand can i what does impact mean to you and your portfolio how do you go about screening a company to make sure that they i guess qualify as a part of an impact company yeah i mean part of part of the the way we look at um we we built a, a model a financial model which basically takes a look at um Basically, how these companies make money, you know, and you know, you know, we've created a, a net impact score which measures, um, you know, in terms of the business line, uh, you know, how much of their businesses are, are tied to uh, impactful uh, categories and, and what is not. You know, for example, you you might be in um, weapons manufacturing, uh, and you would have a negative impact score, um, and you or you might be in um, solar energy. Uh, in which you might have a, a positive impact score. Uh, and we do that for our investable universe, about 20, 20 you know, our investable universe. Uh, and we, we rank them uh, 
that is one metric we look at. Uh, but overall, we, we do try to take, we, we do focus on that, on how these companies are actually making money. It's, it's new to the industry. Uh, I think there's more and more demand for that kind of product. Um, and so hopefully we'll see it grow. I like that because it's really about your actions and mm -hmm. how that money is being spent, not just what you're saying, which can might be eliminate a lot of greenwashing that be, right. could be going on here. And, and just out of, you know, in your experience, Stephen, like where do you see this movement going? I mean, 22 years, where was it when you started? And, where is it now, and where do you foresee this impact business movement going towards? It's definitely going to grow. Um, you know, if we if we think back twenty years ago, uh, even something like ESG was, was kind of off the radar. So, um, but you're seeing, I think, at the last RI report, I saw you know ninety ninety three or ninety four percent of investment companies integrate ESG into their investment approach. And so it's, it's definitely grown in momentum and I think it's, it, it is market driven. So a lot of firms are, are realizing that they need to incorporate that. Um, and as they should, you know, we, we've been in the space for a long time and um, we, we, we need that. Uh, in impact, I think it's still time to catch up. A lot of it is, it's not easy to do, you know, impact investing because of the amount of work it's required and mm. the data needed. Um, uh, but it's going to grow because I think again the market really goes to where you know the, where the market demand is. And there's just growing demand with um, intergenerational wealth transfer. You know, a lot of people uh, are more and more concerned about that. And I, I think people's um, personal uh, values, if you will, uh, are, are shifting, uh, and you're going to see an increase in the demand for that kind. So your number one factor, I guess, for why these, I guess, funds are shifting toward investing in impact companies, or I guess increasing their ESG, is because of this wealth transfer. It's going now to the next generation, and they're deciding to put their money into places that align with their personal values. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, that would be accurate. You know, I, you know, part a big part of, of what we do is is understanding what our clients are demanding. You know, you know, it's it's you know, we didn't we didn't start fossil free investing just by ourselves, but we, by listening to our clients, understanding where that that's what they're concerned on, and, and we went away and said, can we develop this product? In uh, much the same as we're we're seeing in 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 a lot of institution and high net worth individuals, ultra high net worth families, um, a shift in their focus on making an impact. And again, it's about meeting where, where their needs are. You know, we're an investment firm that uh, can tailor these investment solutions for people. Um, and it's, you know, it's really, that's, that's what drives everything. You know, it, it's what is the, the market's calling for. Mm, I like that. And in, in your experience, like what's, what started this movement? I mean, was it the, the, the green movement back in the, the 60s and 70s? Was it um, faith-based donors looking to tie their investments into companies that align with their values? Where did this movement come from? Uh, you know, I, I, I think a lot of it, um, you know, when we talk, I, when I personally think, you know, when it comes to ESG, environmental uh, changes that are happening at such a rapid pace, I think that's that's kind of, you know, 
some people would say that's a that's an over focused ESG um, um, part of it, and a lot of focus has been part of it, and that's made it main, mainstream. You know, it's made made it bubbled it up so that people are paying attention, uh, and really, it's 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 seeing that impacted globally in terms of our environment. Uh, the climate change is is real, uh, and you know people are responding, and that's the biggest driver, I would say. It's interesting, and and I, if you will just entertain this question, um, I, I I think it's really helpful that we kind of break down like where we are, and um, you know, just provide a few other examples of what is and might not be an impact company. Um, one of the I guess areas would be uh, healthcare, which is obviously you know a for profit mechanism that can really help transform and solve lives. So. Um, to, my question to you, Stephen, be like, you know, would you consider a dentistry an impact company, and why and why not? Uh, a dentistry, I mean, an industry like dentistry, uh, would I consider that as impact? Um, I guess it depends. You know, uh, you're gonna have, uh, as with all companies, some dentists that are um, a little bit more reasonable in their practice in, in their practices than others. Uh, in terms of pricing, affordability, uh, you know, are we talking about providing a service that's um, uh, a, a much needed, you know, service to people that at an affordable price? Um, because if you take a look at some dentistries, uh, there is a disparity uh, between technology that's being deployed. You know, uh, there's there's a new technology out there. Are people are are people getting charged more so they have access to it, uh, or does a lot of people have have, have that? Um, so I think within these micro industries, there is a way to, to, to further dissect that if you like, uh, you know, it's overall, it's a, it's a, it's a need that the, everybody needs, um, but it's how you conduct your business and dentistry is very much a business. I like that. And and I want to give everyone like a perspective of time here because once upon a time, there weren't a ton of dentistries. Right. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, there weren't a lot of solar panels. And, sure. you know, I interviewed a guy who, you know, provides about 14% of the energy to Rwanda. And he's like, I can't move fast enough. There, there are so many people without energy. We can't move. So that's providing something that otherwise wouldn't be there before. I think that's impact. However, you look at that maybe 300 years and everyone could have solar. Are they an impact company? So that's my question to you is, where is this? Is it all about access right now? And over time, if more and more people have access, do they lose their certification of an impact company? I mean, I think at some point it, it, it loses its impact because it becomes mass, you know, the masses can can get it. And it no longer is really becomes an impact focus because now everybody has access to it. You know, there is a need as, and it's almost like it's a problem. It's it's solved, you know, by the time it, it's a 99, 98% of the population can get access to it, maybe it declines in its importance in terms of in, in creating an impact. Um, there will be other things <laughs> that, that we'll have to focus our energy on. Uh, but, uh, you know, one day when solar, solar energy is accessible by, let's say, 99% of the world population, I think um, it, it will lose its place. Uh, I'll put it that way. But we're a long, long ways from that. 
And so in a sense, is this more just like innovation? Is this opportunity? Is it like, how, how should others be looking at an impact investment? I guess is my question. Yeah, I mean, it, it's innovation. I think it's it's about, but it is not a, I think it goes back to also your your business practice, your core business practice. You know, are you developing the technology uh, and you're, you're creating these huge profits and, and kind of gouging, um, taking that out, or are you giving it back? You know, are you uh, open sourcing some of that technology? Um, I mean, you think about you know, the classic example, let's say, you know, when Volvo, uh, for example, created the the the, the seatbelt, you know, the three point harness, and and kind of just gave the patent away because the lives it would save um, would far exceed the profits that it would have created. Um, and I remember that story, and and, and is that impactful? You know, almost I would say so. And something like that would be impactful. Um, so it's about you know what you intend to do with after you've done. Um, all that R&D and, and how you apply it. It's an interesting discussion because I don't think anyone's really moved that boulder to the top of the mountain in terms of, hey, this is what an impact company is. Because Volvo, I wouldn't put on the list as an impact company, but hey, look at this example of leadership, of doing something bold and, and courageous. How much does leadership governance maybe play into, into uh, how you determine what an impact company is? Uh, you know, definitely... Governance is, is a big part of the ESG and on, on how, how well companies actually do rank from, from, from those metrics. Uh, you know, we apply ESG factors uh, pretty much across the board and, and the assets we manage. Uh, and there's a ranking for it. You know, it, I think uh, how a company is run has long-term um, value in it. You know, I, I think it's, it's the, it has been shown that, you know, better government companies do uh, to tend long-term make higher profits. So it goes hand in hand, you know, you do good business in the long run in, in an ethical manner, uh, it's gonna have positive impacts to the business, uh, into the brand, you know, it works into the brand, it works into your um, practices of just, uh, when talking about property, how you treat people, how you treat your suppliers and, and all that goes into it. Um, and uh, longer term, I think it, it, it definitely impacts how a business is run. And Stephen, how are you going about making long-term decisions in your company? Is there a certain question you ask yourself? Is it um, a measurement you kind of benchmark yourself on against? Like, how do you think about making sure that the choices and decisions you make as CEO are in the best interest of the company in the long term? Yeah, a lot of things I, I try to do is I, I, I try to create a... a consensus if I can uh, with within the leadership team um, you know I, I am not in a silo by myself you know making decisions left and right I, you know there's a lot about it being a leader is 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 listening um, and what other experts have to say within organizations and what other people think uh, and I think you know you as, as, as the leader you definitely have to take in all those inputs um, across different way people think, um, opinions, uh, and then you, you try to make the best decision possible. Um, you're not always going to be right, you know, uh, and that's true of being a CEO, you know, it, things are, are going to go, but you can definitely try to make the most informed decision uh, and try to act in the best faith as possible and 
and, and really see what the outcome is. And I think, you know, it's, it's important to, as a leader, to realize sometimes you've made a mistake and, and to realize that and, and to be able to change uh, when you do make a mistake. Admit it and, and move on. And Stephen, the, the Impact Awards ranks companies on a five-year growth, multiplied by the most recent year of revenue, multiplied by their certified beast for their force for good formula. In those five years, from a leadership standpoint, what's been, I guess, what's attributed mostly to growth? Well, within Genesis, I think it's, it's our, our evolving focus on uh, our products. Uh, it's what started out uh, as probably 15, 20% of our assets today, the uh, fossil free and impact investing together uh, probably accounts to close to you know, 45, 50% of our assets. Um, and so it's, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's a shift in the focus. We can't, you know, we can't, the Genesis has been since, around since 89. So there's a lot of legacy um, clients uh, that we have been mindful about. Uh, and, and we still, ex we still manage some products that are, are what we consider um, ESG integrated, but not, you know, green in nature. Um, and, um, you know, but the shifting focus in, in what we do, um, I think, has helped us grow uh, and be a specialist. You know, I think people see Genesis as uh, when it comes to in Canada and when it comes to sustainable investing and, and impact investing, we definitely seen as one of the leaders in Canada. Uh, and that's helped position Genesis who we are, you know, doing things. In, and there's also the business alignment. Uh, you know, I, I'm very proud that we've been a B Corp. We are one of the first, if not the first, um, Canadian investment firms to to be certified, B Corp certified, um, and uh, we're very proud of that. And you started this episode saying when you when you, when you had children, your perspective kind of changed, and you you shifted to have a little bit more balance in what you do. <laughs> CEOs they're always trying to maximize the time that they have throughout the day. If you had a pie chart. Steven, where would you say you spend most of your time? Uh, I would spend most of my time. <laughs> I would like to do. I mean, I spend a lot of time. My waking time. Let's talk about the waking time. Uh, it's it's between it's between Janice and uh, and my daughter <laughs> and my my wife. You know, it's a pretty even split. I try to carve out some time for a few rounds of golf. Um, you know, before, before Lauren, I was playing 70 rounds of golf and after Lauren, that's, if I hit seven or 10 rounds, I'd be very happy. Uh, and so that it is, it, but it's all a choice. You know, it is, it is definitely a choice, um, that people have work balance means a lot of different things to different people. Um, you know, I like to be plugged in with Genesis all the time, uh, whether I'm vacation or, or. You know, late at night, I'd like to see those emails come through. It doesn't bother me. Um, but I, I do know when I am spending time with my family, well, the phone kind of goes away uh, and, and I'm there. Uh, whether it's dinner or bathing, you know, that kind of things, you, you have to, that's why we work hard so that we can have those moments. And, and to go on that from the business lens, what do you think your role is as a CEO? My role as CEO is 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 really um, I think I touched on this a little bit before is 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 listening uh, is is 
just listening to both what our clients, you know, from a business perspective, what our, our clients are demanding and, and meeting that need, but also the people who are delivering that success. You know, I, I tell people that my biggest role at Genesis is, is ensuring success at all levels of organization. Uh, and, and, and as my, as leader, it, that's my job, is to make sure that everyone's positioned well to deliver that. Uh, and so it begins with being the hopefully the best listener there is. I like that. And let's just expand that even more, Stephen, in all of this. Let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Uh, a real leader um, pivots. Depends on what the needs are. Uh, you know, there will be moments where you have to lead without, uh, you know, in a command control kind of format. Uh, most of the time in life and business, that's not required. So it's, it's real, it, a real leader understands the importance of being both uh, at the front of the back end and at the back of the back, or somewhere in between. Sometimes uh, you, you, you kind of have to play, learn to play that position and, and not really let your ego get in the way of it, because it easily can be. Uh, and so a real leader is, is someone who um, can, can hone that skill of, of listening and, and, and uh, playing the role. I love that. Stephen O, the CEO of Genesis Capital Management. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, pivot, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Stephen. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.